Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today Woo. I'm with Rand- Randall Schwartz. <laughs> That'd be me. Who is, yeah, who is enjoying himself a nice drink. So sadly, I can't <laughs> join you because it's it's about 9.13 in the morning over here. And I believe it's sometime in the evening over there for you. 5.13. It's happy the- hour. Literally happy uh, hour. Very happy hour, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so Randall, in case you don't know, is quite a, I don't know, character, quite famous in the <laughs> development world. <laughs> And uh, he's a person who does who doesn't. He's a person who does a lot of flutter, also. So that's why yes. I want to bring him on here. I think his story about like um, you know why he thinks flutter is good is yeah. that kind of like the main topic. And um, yeah, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real quick, and then we can start talking about basically anything because it seems like you're in a mood to talk about a lot of things, which I'm happy about. Right? The more you talk, the better. I'm good with everything. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so I've been involved with uh professionally with computers for 45 years now so uh, i remember learning objects from small talk ad in 1981 so when most of you say ah, objects they eh, haven't been around for long no they have been around long and i've been there for those um, but i also had as my some of my parts of my early career were being a um a uh, technical writer, which was really wonderful because I learned then both how to do code, which I had trained myself to do, and also learned how to write about the things that are going to manuals, things like that, which I'm so happy I got to do because that makes me multiversed. Uh, I'm, I'm a writer and a teacher and a, a programmer. And I've been able to build a great career out of that. Most of what people know me for is that I wrote the top five selling books on the computer language Perl, which helped create the interactive web in the 90s. So I am somewhat responsible for you seeing www on the side of a bus. That's thanks to me. And you're welcome. Um, because I helped make it possible for people to build interactive websites. And I've been doing that for years. I, you know, I've been like, you know, one of the top programmers for Perl for, uh, all the years since the, um, the whole dot com boom. But, uh, I wanted to do something new and Flutter came along and I became really excited about it because I had never had the idea of building stuff in uh, Objective-C or Swift or, you know, Java or whatever. I just didn't have a, a liking for any of those languages, although Objective-C is very close to Smalltalk, but that's a whole other story. Um, but along comes Flutter, and I go, this is cool. And from the day I found out about Flutter, I went home that night, installed the Flutter SDK, and all of a sudden, I had an icon on my phone that didn't come from the Apple Store. And I went, this is amazing. This is game-changing. And then when I found out about, you know, Flutter's uh, hot reload, I went, okay, this, this, is, this is just nailing it. And so I really wanted to get much more fully integrated to that. The point where about nine months ago, I fired my last Perl client. I said, nope, not going to do Perl anymore. It's all Flutter, 100% now. And that's what I've been doing. 
And I enjoy that. And part of that is that, so you're not going to get a word in advice if you don't interrupt at some point. <laughs> but uh, the more um, you talk, the better. That's less work I have to do, right? <laughs> I can enjoy my coffee. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's been amazing is that I got encouraged by, by my friend, Wim Leeler, who's a local Portlander who I've known for 30 years, uh, to consider being a GDE, Google Developer Expert, which means I have to go through a rigorous series of questions and tests. But once I go through and satisfy them all, I'm basically, in some ways, representing Google uh, sort of being the liaison between y'all out there who are doing Flutter and need information and need answers to your questions, things like that, which I readily provide on almost all the social networks that are listed in flutter.dev slash, uh, oh, flutter.dev slash community. Okay. If you go there, I'm there. I'm every one of those there. Um, and so I'm paying attention to Discord, Reddit, uh, few of the Facebook groups, uh, uh, Slack, the, the, the two Slacks, the real Slack and the private Slack. Uh, don't ask about that. Um, and then, uh, but, but I'm basically answering questions for y'all. And I don't do that completely out of just a love for the world. I actually do that because every time I answer a question, I probably have had to do a bit of research for that to make sure that I'm right and make sure that my what I'm going to say is accurate. So I'm getting smarter all the time by answering all those questions, and I enjoy answering the questions. So it's not altruistic. It's a, it's actually a bit of a, hmm, self-preservation, I would say. But uh, I've been doing that for a while. Uh, I've been employed by a few Flutter organizations, people who are building apps that are going into the store, things like that. I've done some remarkable work for them which unfortunately I can't share because it's proprietary code. So it's like here I've got this brilliant combination of things I did to basically implement Reso coders, multiple layers in his uh, data-driven, uh, domain-driven D. There's three Ds. I can't remember the three Ds are. But he did a great job with that. I took that, took it to heart, built that. And in the meanwhile, I'm just having fun coding in Flutter and making my phone change patterns based on what I'm thinking. You're saying for, you're talking about Rezo Coder, the, the guy on YouTube? Yeah. You worked on his domain-driven design uh, like setup? No, no, I, I read it. <laughs> oh, you read it, okay. I was an understander of that, yes. Yeah, I like that pattern a lot, actually. So then yeah. you must be using Block then for some of your... No, and that's the strange part. I'm, I am a big Riverpod guy. Really? Okay. What made you love Riverpod so much? I like Riverpod because imagine that Block is like buying, uh, a model that you glue together with, you know, airplane glue and stuff like that. But Riverpod is like Legos. So you build it whatever way you want and anything is possible with Riverpod. It, it, if there's a way to wire a dependency against a result, Riverpod can do it. Yeah, Riverpod's quite interesting, but the thing that makes it difficult to follow is kind of like where, yeah, I mean, you can just wire everything up and it's hard to kind of keep track. That's the one thing that kind of sticks out. 
what I like about block is it's very clear that there's like a, you know, hierarchy to it and you can pass things around. It's more straightforward to kind of follow the flow. Block is very opinionated, but there are times when you really want to have the flow to kind of go around this corner and that straight away. And uh, uh, Riverpod is there for you. Um, and whereas I've, I've seen a lot of questions on block and it's like, how do we do this in block? And I go, well, gosh, that's like trivial in Riverpod, you know, and I, I, I look at that. Um, the, the requirement though is, um, as they say in the Superman movies with great response, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So you have to think about, you know, are you breaking things? But, if you look at Riza Quarter's DDD uh, series, there's like 10, no, maybe about eight, eight uh, blog posts and about 15 videos. And sadly, not all of them have blog posts. So you have to actually watch a bunch of stuff too. But what I like about that is it really cements the notion that um, you want to make sure that your middle layers don't ever throw exceptions to upper layers and they get away with it by doing things like uh, functional programming using exception and not exception. It's uh, either like the either, the either package. Yeah. 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 Like the either package. And I'm really liking FP dart for that. And mostly because the guy who's doing it put a lot of effort into documenting it. Whereas darts, which has been around forever and people who refer to it, including the DDD package that or the DDD uh, sequence, the, the guy who did FP dart actually wrote a series of articles saying, this is really why you want to use option or this is why you want to use either. And this is why those are there. And it's been incredible. I mean, the, the quickest way to say this is, either, either, however you pronounce it, allows you in one value being sent back from a routine to either say, this is the value that you got because it worked, or this is the error, and here are the parameters of the error. And you can do it distinguishably, well, that's a word, I think, somewhere in there, distinctly, there, distinctly is a better one, um, or... Uh, and it also forces you to say, is this an error or is this a value? Uh, in, in, because you can't use them casually. And the same thing is true with option. Option essentially allows you to create typed null, nulls. So in other words, you could say this value here is either an int or a distinct type called an option none of int which means that's different from an option none of string. That's different from an option none of a, a list. So you're allowed to have something stronger than null, but representing null. And that's incredible. I tell you, everybody should learn about FP Dart and put it in every bit of their code. It's just such this an amazing is, This is the thing. first time I ever heard of FP Dart. I usually use... Um... Freeze and with freeze you can create oh. union types, which is right. really similar to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I love functional programming. Usually, I use Elixir a lot for my backends. Okay, and uh, I also been getting more and more into Rust, and so the idea of having the enums like the union types is really interesting to me. So I kind of like cool. this package. So yeah, I have to check it out. 
Yeah, Peter is amazing. And like I said, it's been created like in the last, only in the last couple of months, but he's been doing so much work on it. And then nothing got committed for a while. And I wrote him just a minute ago, or not a minute ago, but like a, a couple of days ago. And I said, uh, you stopped working on this. And he goes, well, I don't really think it needs anything else for right now. And I go, okay. Uh, how about everything else that was on your, uh, your, your, uh, build list? He goes, huh, yeah, you're right. I haven't finished what I said I was going to finish. And I said, that's all I'm saying. Is is that a problem or not? And he goes, no, it's not a problem. Just nobody's asked me for those things. And what's great is that it has the notion of uh, wrapping things like a um, closure in what they call a task. And then you can stack those. And you can even... I like the one that's task either where, or either task, I forget which way it is, where uh, it runs the closure. And if it throws, it returns back as the um, broken side of either. And if it doesn't break, if it doesn't throw, then it returns back a value. That's, that's a lot of code that you would write by hand over and over again. But there it is, already in FP Dart. Yeah, that's. I have to take a look at this one. Like I said, uh, I really like this. Uh, these ideas yeah. seems to be pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I haven't had to do so. The task thing is similar to like the compute, where you want to like kind of throw some I, uh, some CPU enhancing task to it. Right. Yeah. So basically, mm -hmm. it's basically a closure. A closure. So you, what you're actually dealing with is that closure, that function of thing, and then you say now run it and chain it to this or whatever. Okay. Yeah, let me take a look at this one. Mm -hmm. This is pretty cool. Uh, okay. All right. Actually, um, can I ask you something? So you I may. don't know what it is, but I always hear a lot of flack about uh, Perl that, you know, it's got a lot of not that good <laughs> stuff to it. W what's the deal with people hating on Perl? Is it, I mean, I know that it's an early language and I know that it's helped a lot, but at the same time, I feel like people kind of turned on it after some point and just were hating on it for whatever reason. Is it something to do with like this major language change, the syntax change? Is that could be what it is? I think the biggest part of it has always been that the use of sigils like dollar sign, at sign, or percent sign in front of a, uh, a token has always freaked people out who are coming from other languages that don't have that. But it specifically was put in to ensure that at A and percent A would be well known as data types. So it might even be uh, what we would call reverse Polish notation, that sort of stuff, uh, you know, Polish annotation, I guess it is. Um, but in Perl, it's essential to the language. And I think the fact that when you're going from a single element of an array, and you say dollar square bracket, but you're going then to the whole array where it's at the same name, I think that freaked too many people out because it made sense from the perspective of uh, that at means you're accessing an entire array, dollar means you're accessing a scalar, either by itself or in that array or in that hash or whatever. I, I think that confused a, a bit too much. 
Um, so it, and also that a lot of people complain that it looked like line noise just because of all these sigil characters, the dollar signs, percent signs, things like that. I never found that to be a problem because it was specifically helping me uh, denote a particular thing I'm trying to access. And that was fine with me. But uh, there were some people who couldn't catch on to that. People who wanted nice, plain-looking variables like we find in Python and awk and uh, C and things like that, where the, the uh, context and the access methods are not encoded with extra punctuation. Okay. I, I think also there might be some flex because a lot of, to me, the this language is more used by like system admins to kind of glue stuff together. And then I find that these guys, because that's the only language that they know, or that they use day in, day out, they try to make some really fully blown applications with these things. And it kind of falls apart because maybe they don't have the proper training to put things together. So maybe that could be also part of it too, right? They're not properly kind of putting their code together. I, I could argue that, um, in order to scale Perl, you do have to understand how to write Perl in the large. I'll definitely grant you that. There are many ways to go wrong as you go larger. Um, but there is nothing, there is nothing weirder about Perl than like most other languages about scaling. So I don't know that, uh, it really deserves a separate category. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I just know I hear that a lot. And then like when yeah, I yeah. hear, oh, this guy wrote this in Perl, I also have this immediate feeling, oof, I got to be careful about this thing. I just feel not not safe, but it could just be the guy who wrote it. Maybe that's the problem. I, I will tell you, though, that the problem was that Perl ended up being part of the gold rush, which was many, many people in the late 90s said, oh, my God, this is so cool. We can have a website. We can have interactivity, blah, 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 blah. And it brought a lot of junior programmers to the bench that probably shouldn't have been there. So I will grant you that. I will grant you that there's a lot of code written in the late 90s that is pretty scary and unfortunately also drove down the dollar value of people who actually knew what they were doing. So it was a little sad. This is a great segue back to Dart and Flutter, right? Because sure. in my opinion, Dart and Flutter are quite simple to pick up, especially Flutter, right? You can just forget Dart yeah. for a moment. I know, of course, you're writing Dart, but at the same time, the syntax, the style, everything to me is very straightforward. Like I basically learned Flutter before I learned Dart. Mm -hmm. And say what, say what you will about which one you should do, but I think that that's a lot of people doing this kind of style. And mm -hmm. I think that because Flutter is quite simple and Dart is also a pretty simple language relative, mm -hmm. then there is a lot of beginners that are coming in who are writing apps that maybe are not the most performant, right? Do you think this could also have an effect and also bring the dollar value of Flutter developers down? I, I don't think it's going to come quite as easily. And that is because the thing about Dart is there's still, you know, the four corners to understand. You know, there, there's, there's a, there's a space that you have to be in to understand Dart and to work with Flutter 
that I don't think you can fake very well. And I think that's keeping, you know, that's keeping it so like when I'm looking at the, um, uh, all the social channels and they're saying, well, how do I even have a roadmap to learn what I have to learn? And I think, well, why are you even asking that question? Learn this, then this, then this, then this. And then you're like, okay, now what to do next? Learn that, whatever that is. But uh, people keep saying, I just want something I can check off as a list of boxes. And I go, eh, okay, well, good luck on that. Finally, somebody has the same opinion of, as me about this one. I really hate that question about like, <laughs> what, sh what should I learn? Well, yeah. let's just say for some reason you never have to use a stream, right? That's, right. I mean, it's probably impossible, but let's just say that right. if you take the time to learn streams, then when the time comes that you actually have to use it, you're probably going to forget it if your life really doesn't have to use it. Like I always think like just pick a project, pick something that you're passionate about. That way you can right. stick strong with it. Make an app about that. doesn't have to be super crazy. Just the point is that you want to get familiar with Flutter. And then with that part, then just learn things as you need to go on. Right. I think the totality of the language is not that great. I mean, this is why we have a shortcut on the Discord uh, for Flutter, which is just simply a question mark tour. And all it does is point them at the language tour of Dart. And the reason we point people at that is because when we do that, when we say that shortcut, it's because they've asked a question that is right out of that tour. I mean, that tour is not comprehensive for all of Dart, but it's the most important things. And if you haven't even read that yet, you're not a, you're not even close to being a Dart programmer yet. Just read that, understand what constructors are, understand what, uh, and, and, and to a certain degree, things like, uh, async. Async's tough. There's other things for async that are more detailed, but at least some basics of async are covered there. And, uh, you know, what a factory constructor is, what, what, uh, generic means, you know, so we have list of int of something, you know, what, what does it all mean? And just read through the tour and you'll get most of that. And it's silly for us to have to be cutting and pasting and quoting directly from this stuff that's being provided by Google. Google did a great job writing their documentation and they keep it up to date. So this is something that I, I think most people don't understand. You go to dart.dev or flutter.dev, the two primary places for Dart and Flutter, and you're reading stuff that some people in San Francisco are working very closely with the people in Mountain View to release this updated and consistent with what's actually changing in the language. And there's no other open source project that that's, that, that is that well organized. I tell you, I've been involved with a lot of open source projects. That is incredible. I have to say, I'm definitely guilty of not reading the docs. <laughs> Can I read them as I need them? <laughs> but you know, I'll go back. I'll go back. I got, as you can see over here, I'm injured. So I don't have an excuse not to read. I got time to read, but no time to, to, to no time and ability to code basically. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'll have to be doing in a moment. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. Like, I think 
Only just recently did I go to dark.dev and actually read the tour and try to read every single section. Um, so kind of going back to my comment about before where I kind of, you should learn things as you need them. I think you should learn things as you need them as a base, but then go back to the docs, like you said, and actually try to read more in depth because that's going to give you a lot more insights. Like, let's just say that you've been doing constructors where you pass in stuff and then within the constructor body, you're doing like a this dot and setting it equal to, well, you could just do that all in one line. You don't have to have a constructor body, right? These kind of ticks and trips that, sorry, tricks and tips maybe, you know, don't come to you right away. Like if you came from another programming language, you usually do it like the style I told you. Right. But now having a one-line constructor makes things much easier. Right. And, and so what you end up learning to do, and especially I find myself, I'm still Googling a lot to find out where the answers are. I have shortcuts set up for Google focusing on API.dart.dev, Google focusing on API.flutter.dev. And I have those because I'm thinking, I know this is like some Flutter uh, class, but I don't know all the parameters for it. I don't know what it's related to. And a, a, a Google search like that, that's basically site colon API dot whatever. And it's been great to then see somebody's question. And then I do that. And then I go, oh, and it also works like this. This is really cool for me and really cool for me to share with the people I'm answering questions to. Yeah. And also your videos, too. I They look interesting. I haven't gone back to actually watch them, but I did see some of the titles and I did skim at least one or two. Like you did a video all about time, which is definitely interesting because people always ask about oh, time. That was such a wonderful one to do. And especially because it came around, I think, the first of the year, which was also important. But um, I, I, it's, it's so fascinating time. I, I don't want to get too crazy about it. I am a time zone geek because I've traveled the world so much. And just trying to figure out, okay, when am I going to arrive at that airport? has been a lot of my thinking hours over the years. And it's a little crazy. But part of it is never screwing up with the uh, fact that, uh, oh, God, we got to get rid of this, DST. Please, can we please get rid of DST? Please. That would be my one desire of the whole time zone system. I don't mind time zones. I just mind DST. And the reason is, okay, so what time is it two, two uh, months from now? It's not going to be, again, right now we're taping at 5.40 for me in the afternoon. Um, is It's not going to be 5.40 two months from now. It's going to be either, let's see, uh, see now I'm going to do the math. 6.40, right? Because it should 6.40, be 6.40, right, because it's gone forward, right. Um but then we have the weird situations where the U.S. and Europe, or the U.S. and the rest of the world, change to DST two weeks apart. And this affects Mexico, believe it or not, because Mexico's southern half shifts based on Europe time. Mexico northern half shifts based on U.S. time. Imagine a single state then having a different time for North and South for two weeks. That's all, just for two weeks. This is insane. 
And so I pay a lot of attention to this, and this is why I did my uh, screencast on that, which I really would recommend people see, which is like if you just add one day using duration, that's always precisely 24 hours. And that may not be the time from today to tomorrow at the same time. And, uh, and the problems that that causes twice a year. So yeah, I, I, I'm glad that I can do those sorts of podcasts, those sorts of screencasts, because I enjoy people going, this, this is solving a problem of mine. And so I'm always trying to do as many of those as I can. So my upcoming screencasts are uh, currently planned. I've got the new RiverPod 1.0. I'm building the um, um, starter kit with that. So that's coming up soon. Uh, what's, what's the next one coming up after that? Um, don't know, but I'll, I'll go look for a second and I'll find it. Um, I think it was. No, no, I can't do it that quickly. Okay. Anyway. Ask me another question while I'm looking this up. <laughs> I'm just curious if you have any opinion on like um, not hour difference time zones, like India is at like a half hour or something like that. I think some places are actually quarter hours. Any oh, opinions yeah. about that? As long as they stay still, it's not bad. I, I hate it when they move. And so that's probably most of my issue with that. I mean, it's fine. You know, I had a call on one of my podcasts to Nepal, which was like 5.45 off of UTC. And I just said, well, that's the time then, you know, that's the way it is. Um, so I don't, I don't really care. I don't really care about that part of it. I do care when it moves. And I also care, like some parts of Australia go plus and minus a half hour. And it's like, Okay, that's just weird. That's just weird. I also got one more question, which is what I usually do when I deal with time zones. Is I just convert everything to UTC, do all of my changes, and then to, at the edges of my system, then I convert it for the user to see. Is that a recommended way to go? When it's possible, sure. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you really need to do need to display in local time, and you have to deal with that. And... uh yeah, it's it's just crazy that way, and I'm still looking up the uh, the, the upcoming shows somewhere in here. Um, keep ask, asking another question. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so actually, we were just talking before the show about um, now you have a new contract you're working on. Like, how do you usually find your contracts? Because I did see you reaching out on Facebook, and I think that's maybe not the most reliable way to get decent contracts. Uh, Facebook has been a source of, I think, a couple of my gigs over the time. But the um, the biggest source has been just hammering on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is mostly business to business, so it has the ability to uh, kind of perceive me as a business that wants their business, and that pretty much uh, nails it down. And... Uh, uh, I just got a new gig. What is, day is this? Yeah, yesterday that I'm very happy with. It's doing some crazy cool stuff with uh, blockchain, blockchain and cryptocurrency. And you'd think, given my position actually about blockchain and cryptocurrency being 
completely stupid at this point. Like if you didn't get in to Bitcoin in, you know, five years ago, you're, you're, you're out of it. You're useless. But uh, it, it has gotten some interesting play now. So I'm pretty happy with all that. Yeah, I've actually been learning blockchain recently, too. I've, it's pretty straightforward, but I'm still trying to learn all the basic concepts. Um, but yeah, when you're saying hammering on LinkedIn, are you just like messaging random companies and asking them if they're interested? Or how do you mean by you're hammering on LinkedIn? Uh, a lot of people no. are always asking questions about how can I find a, a gig or a job? So I think this is a good topic to kind of reach into. Yeah, I, I I think it's like I can I reply and go. Uh, I think I know something about that. I'm always humble when I reply because I figure that's probably going to be so people don't get overwhelmed by oh my god you're like a crazy lunatic because you're saying you're so wonderful about this. I'm not. I'm I'm just a guy learning, but I'm learning pretty fast. And I'm trying to tell you that I can be good for you. And that's pretty much it. So um, that's, that's kind of the limit of what I do. Uh, we, we have an interesting question from the audience, which is why I like audience. to do live stream. Oh, my God. Yeah, so we have two concurrent viewers. We actually were at six before, so you know, uh, not, yeah. not too bad. So We didn't really do a big promotion. But anyways, no. um, so Alan Snyder um, some background on him is that he's someone just learning Flutter from Java hey, Python Alan. world. Good to see you. Um, his question is, get it versus Riverpod. Are they even used for same use cases? So here's what Riverpod has that get it doesn't have. And then from there, you can make your own decisions. I like get it. I like the owner of it. I've talked with him many times on video. So he's a great guy. But what RiverPod allows you to do is this thing called overrides with scope. And that is essentially what Gitit is sort of trying to solve, too. But RiverPod, I think, solves it in the way that the uh, timing of the dependencies. So, in other words, a de service A depends on service B. Service B depends on service C. How do you designate that? And how do you launch them in the right order? Well, with RiverPod, it's pretty direct. And if uh, you're trying to ask for a service A, and of course it depends all the way down to service C, it's going to fire those up and give you a handle. And what's nice about that is that at any level of that, I can interject with a override service A with service A prime for testing or whatever, and it just works. Whereas get it, I think, doesn't quite have all those properties. I may be wrong, and then the guy that knows get it, that I've talked to a lot, will come and kill me in my sleep. But I'm just saying, I believe that I, uh, RiverPod has a bit more flexibility than Gitit. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I just use Gitit as a dependency injection tool um, involved with my state management. So I don't really consider it to be a state management kind of tool, but I suppose you could. And I know that he has this tool, he has this kind of uh, other package called Gitit Mixin, 
which has a mm-hmm. lot more interesting things, which kind of seems a little bit like Riverpod to me. There's a lot of more things that you can do where, because he, he's a big believer in not injecting your business logic into your, uh, your, your widgetry. So it's very similar in Riverpod with that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I want to do a show with him kind of building an app with get it mix in to see how it works. I think Riverpod's been done quite a few times, but not a lot of people are talking about Get It Mixin. It's kind of been lost. Yeah. But a lot of people talk about Get It itself. Yeah. And so your show is called Flying High with Flutter. Um, what have you found to be the important components of Flying High with Flutter? You mean the show itself? Yeah. Well, of course, the guests are number one, right? Well, uh, top- we are. Yeah. And then the topic is, of course, number two. Yeah. And feedback from the audience is probably number three. Um, right. Because, yeah, if you guys aren't enjoying the show, then obviously I'm doing something wrong. But what I also find is that if we are enjoying ourselves, then they actually enjoy themselves even more. Awesome. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. That's good. That's great. So what uh, I still keep trying to, like, claw through what the heck am I looking for? It's taking me time. Um, I've forgotten entirely, so I'm just going to give up. Um, anyway, so what else do you want to know about? Flutter and my participation and uh, or my history. Yeah, I mean your history is definitely interesting, right? So mm-hmm. we did you did. I don't know if this is a rough spot, but like you do have a history on Wikipedia, which <laughs> is definitely interesting. I mean, yeah. you're going to hear different sides of the story, right? But uh, I believe your I've, side. I've is, been different sides of the story. Yes, I know. Yeah. yeah. It's, so what I understand, like your whole entire history with this was like you uh, complained about, let me, let me know if I got this wrong. I probably do. But I think you, you said there's a vulnerability with the passwords and nobody kind of went up on that. And then you kind of exploited the vulnerability just to kind of show there's a problem. And that's what kind of got you in the hot water. Is, did I have this right? Well, not, not quite. So here's, here's the sort of more direct way this happened. I had been a sysadmin for Group A, just to give him a name. And then I was now a sysadmin for a much smaller group, groups, Group B. And one of the things I had done in my earlier history while I was at Group A was that I had tested the package uh, called Crack. Such an unfortunate name because of the trial. Because <laughs> it was like, how do you present that to somebody? But that's the name of the package. And in fact, it lists me as one of the guys who had helped out with that crack version three or whatever it was. And so crack, the next version, N plus one, whatever it was, uh, had come out. And I said, I wonder how many passwords this would break over here. Yeah, I was just wondering because I didn't really care. I wasn't a sysadmin for Group A anymore, but I still had a responsibility in Group A because I was maintaining a version of Perl that was running on some of their machines. So I ran crack against Group A's um, password file. And what I didn't realize at the time it takes three days to run this crack run against these things. I didn't care about it being seen by my coworkers because it's like, 
hey, I'm a guy. I currently have an Intel badge, and I'm doing an Intel um, digression. I'm doing something that they might need to know. And what I didn't know is that not only did it find 45 or something like that passwords out of 600, that two of the passwords were the vice president of that part of Intel and the chief technology officer. And I didn't know that Crack would find those. And I didn't even understand when Crack said this is what it found, the significance of these two names because they were just two names in a list of 600 that I was like, okay, whatever. But my coworker in the new group, Group B, said, this is Randall trying to break in. And for that, the cops came. I got my computers taken away from me for four months, things like that. Um, it, it was a weird period for me. And when I went to trial finally, and I got convicted of three felonies, it was a very scary period for me because I had to comply with the probation and the, all the stuff that's related to having three felonies thrown at me. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. I apologize if this brings up some bad memories. But oh, no, 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 no. That... I'm happy to talk about it because it's like, you guys out there, don't do this. <laughs> this, is, this is a weird combination of things that have happened that um, weirdly put me in 20 books about computer crime and including entire chapters in uh, Intel Inside, which is kind of weird. I had I spent a lot of time interviewing with that guy. Um, and it was because there was a change of the guard between the way sysadmins used to be viewed and the way they were viewed at the point where this happened. And that's really all there was. I mean, in the old days, we sort of let um, sysadmins have a kind of a casual relationship, and that wasn't true anymore. And I hadn't caught up entirely with the change of the guard. Uh, I was just thinking when you were talking about all these, you know, putting putting different books, different publications, and so forth. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the expression that uh, all news is good news, something like that. Kind of got you more exposure. Um, well, and this worked both to my benefit and to my curse. Um, so there was a couple of companies that once this was announced, they canceled contracts with me saying, uh, we can't work with you anymore. But there's also other companies that I had friends working at that said, you're good here. Just let me know when you want to work. Uh, so it, it worked both ways. It's good you get people to help kind of stick up for you. Um, that's not always defined. I have a lot of friends. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's always happy. Well, I'm glad to know that, you know, that this has kind of been expunged from your record, right? And I can understand that. 
just a series of unfortunate events that happened that kind of brought you in that situation. I think a lot of people have been there before. I've been in similar situations where things happened and it just looks not good on your side, although you have, maybe you have good intentions. Yeah, and, and technically, yes, you're right. You mentioned the word expunged. So legally, this has been expunged. But what that means is you're in the U.S., I'm in the U.S. You're not in the U.S., actually, but let me just pretend. So you're in the U.S., I'm in the U.S., and if you ask me, have I ever been convicted of a crime, I get to say no. But the company or the country of Cal of uh, <laughs> the, the country of of uh, Canada and the country of uh, Australia have their own meanings of that. So I cannot go to Canada or Australia at all anymore. Oh, really? Oh, just because of this? Oh, that's yes. well, Canada. I mean, depends on if you want to go there, but Australia, I can imagine, be much more interesting to go to. <laughs> I've been to Australia six times. So uh, four times after I actually was convicted, but they didn't ask me at the door, have you been convicted of a crime? So I'm not going to lie to that question. But because it wasn't yet my expungement, I had to say yes. And I had an extra hour on the way in to Sydney Airport and an extra hour on the way out of Sydney Airport that particular trip. And that was the last time I got to go. Do they basically tell you you'd never come back or you just know mm -hmm. because of the rules? Mm hmm They can tell me. They can tell me. And that's what I'm correct. Every time I apply for a electronic transfer authority now, declined automatically. Sorry about that. So, no, I'm not going back to Australia ever because apparently they don't want me there. I think they reached their quota of felons. That's kind of interesting comparing the history of <laughs> Australia with what, what it no, was. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have too many felons now. All right. Uh, we do have another question, which I'm not sure if you can shed any light on this one, but somebody asks, why is there sure. no video player for Flutter Desktop? Any idea? Uh, I think it's because nothing works there. It's it's like you can't make up stuff that doesn't work. Um, um, I think there are people doing things with VLC that's starting to work. So you might look into some of those. But I don't know. I haven't tried in particular to do Flutter Desktop with video yet, personally. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess it's something like that. You have to figure out a way to call into another program or something. That might be the way to solve that one. Well, really, the, the, the logical library that you're using should be able to be accessed. And I think that's maybe part of the problem is accessing that. I don't know. Not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think what else, like, so it, actually, I found something else kind of interesting, too. So you're somebody who was really very, very pro-Pearl. You wrote a lot of books about it. I think you're still somewhat involved. At least that was the last time I heard is that you said you're still somewhat involved in Pearl. But now you just said that you basically canceled your last Pearl client. Right. Like you're really 100% into Flutter now, right? Yes. Now, what was the deciding factor of that? Because recently just killing Pearl in your work is kind of a more recent thing. Yeah. So here's the thing. So... I expand in Perl as far as I can go. And then somebody wants me to do another Perl gig. It's like, 
Okay, I've done that already. You know, the, the thing with Pearl is it was getting boring because it was all the same stuff that I had been perfecting and sharing about and talking about. And I knew that Flutter was much more exciting than that. So, um, so yeah, part of it was just, I'm tired of Pearl. I've done it. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I've been the guy. I, I'm done. But what about with Flutter, though? Once you, once you actually reach that spot at some point, too? I hope so 20 years from now. <laughs> we still got a ways for that, though. Okay. We have uh, Alan Snyder asking another question. Um, yeah. He asks, um, what would be – I don't really like this kind of question, but I'm guessing you're probably going to think the same way. What would be the best way to learn RiverPod? Uh, use it. Start writing stuff with it. Go through riverpod.dev. Make sure you understand that. Subscribe to the Riverpod um, uh, Discord because Remy himself answers questions there. But in particular, using it and using it and figuring out where you don't understand it is the best way to learn about it because then you're going to ask people, oh, how do I link this provider to that provider? You only understand those questions by trying it out. Yeah, that's, I wouldn't have elaborated so much on it, but yes, I think that's <laughs> the best answer. Just use it. You need experience, right? With anything. Exactly. Uh, actually, I'm also kind of curious though, too. Did you you did see obviously the new changes to Dart itself, right? Do you have any opinions or like maybe praises or maybe not so good stuff about about uh, about that? Like I know one of the big things people are really into is like the constructor tear-offs. I kind of like those. I, I don't have a lot of use for those yet, but I I kind of like that they're slowly migrating the language. And I, I tell you though, those aren't going to be trivial compared to macros macros are going to be amazing. And I'm really looking forward to getting rid of the build step for most of the stuff we're doing. Like uh, particularly JSON interpretation, being able to build JSON structures to be able to do that with macros instead of build step stuff. I think that's going to be uh, pretty darn amazing as we get closer to it. Yeah, I remember talking to Remy, and he was also thinking that this would be really good, the macros, because he's uh, specifically talking about the freezed package, that he was thinking that that would be... Yes. Yeah, freeze may go away. Freeze may just go away. Or it'll be like same API, but done with entirely different uh, runtimes. Yeah, but that's not released yet, right? So that's... Is there any nope. time frame Six on that? months. Six months. Okay. And that's all I can say. And sadly, I'm I'm telling you that I am a uh, Flutter GDE, so I do have access to advanced information. And I'm not supposed to give that out because it's all NDA. But I'm just saying six minutes. Just saying six minutes. Really. Okay. So I'm just going to be quiet and say that. But you think it's probably one of the more exciting things coming out? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, because it also makes Turing compiler... I'm sorry, the Flutter compiler, Turing Complete, 
which could be really weird. I have no idea what that actually is going to ultimately mean. Can I compute my entire program at compile time? Hmm. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting, I, I do love that idea. Uh, somebody just said the day Dart gets macros, ADTs, and pattern matching, I'm opening the champagne. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, so here's part of the problem with that particular requester, is that Dart is always going to be slow to adopt new technologies. And the reason is that they kind of need to play it out to see what's going to actually be best. They don't want Dart to be the union type of everything that everybody has ever experienced. And I agree with the Dart developers for that because there are a lot of great ideas out there, but there are a lot of really crappy ideas that don't work so well. And I'm glad that the Dart devs have said, no, we're going to slow down a bit on the design. Really appreciate that. I mean, not to mention, you also have to be careful about, yeah, um, about just adding in everything people are asking for. There has to be enough wants yeah. for that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I, I do wish they have the union types. I mean, but we also have packages to help suffice that for the time being. So that's the workaround for now. Right. Um, I did hear types. Actually, maybe since you have such a large history in programming, there's two different types I always get hear about. There's union types, and then there's another one. What is the other one that's similar but hmm. different? What is that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Not right at the moment. Uh, sorry. Union types. Let me think of what else is like union types. No, nothing, nothing immediately comes to mind. All right. Yeah, it's something like a subtract type or something. I know that I was looking up union types within Dart, and people were saying that they're not going to do union types, but they're looking at doing another type. Yeah, no idea. Okay. If I find it, I'll have to let you know. It's very similar, though. At least when I look at it, I feel very similar. So we're getting close to the end. Uh, what yeah, else do definitely. you want to make sure I get asked? Um, yeah, I mean, there's... Nothing's coming off the top of my head, but it's good to hear that, you know, somebody with large, you know, history with different programming languages, that this is the language that you really want to stick into. Yeah. Um, actually, sorry, the one last thing I wanted to ask, relating back to, to Dart development, right? Sure. Do you have an opinion or, or any thoughts about um, how whenever there's a new version of Flutter, then a new version of Dart will also be out? Like my whole thing is that there, I don't really know if it's a good idea to link the two so much together, but that seems to be what they're doing now is like whenever, like, like when they announced 2.8 came out, then Dart, you know, was it 2.18 or something came out too? I, I don't think that's as intentionally linked as you might think. It's very clear they have release mechanisms that allow them to produce a new version of Dart without a new version of Flutter and vice versa. So I don't think those are as related as you might think. No, because I think I saw in one of the release notes from somebody saying that actually it's it's planned that they're going to release Dart at the same time releasing a version of Flutter. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but this is what I remember reading somewhere. Well, so here's the point about that. Flutter has a targeted version of Dart. So that'll always be true. So if, if you want to update Dart, you're going to have to update Flutter 
pointing out a new version of Dart. But the answer is that it doesn't actually require that. You can build a totally new version of Flutter that does not change the version of Dart at all. Perfectly legal. Yeah, and I also know that you can kind of stick to a certain, you can stick to an old version of Dart and kind of keep it going that way. Right. Uh, do you have any opinions about, like, using Dart for things other than Flutter? Um, of course. Uh, I have probably a dozen command line apps now that are written in Dart. And I really like that because they're already pre-compiled. They're x86 code. So they start up instantly. Very cool. Uh, what about, like, um, do you have any also input about how this kind of works with, with uh, Dart, where you can compile to different targets from another host machine? So Because I think with Dart, you can say, I want to compile to Windows, and you can actually do that from a Mac, or you cannot. Uh, not, not exactly. Um, I don't think, let me think, actually, can you compile to a Windows from a Mac? I don't think so unless you have an um, interpretive, um, like a virtual machine. I don't think you can actually go from Windows to Mac uh, unless you've heard of something that I don't know about. I thought you can, but I might be wrong. Maybe I'm just thinking about that because I know it's very easy for us to compile like to iOS or to Android, but I guess it's because it's relying on some specific build tools that are on the machine. Yeah, maybe. Have you ever taken a look at uh, Kotlin before? It's a language. Uh, I could learn it in a weekend, as I often learn languages. So, But I haven't really bothered because I'm not doing anything in native Kotlin at this point. Yeah, but that's the interesting part is that I'm seeing people trying to compare native Kotlin to Dart and also their KMM solution to Flutter. Yeah. If you've ever seen that before. The part that I think is not that nice is that, you know, if you do KMM, you have to actually natively build each UI itself, which is not the best. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, uh, as you can see, I'm kind of running out of questions, but I do sure. appreciate yeah, all we're, of your... we're wrapping up. Yeah, that's yeah, great. I, I appreciate all of your uh, your input, and it's good to hear back, and I'm looking forward to macros. And I'm very happy to have been on your show. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for letting me share my random thoughts sometimes <laughs> about stuff. Hey, if you have an itch you want to scream out to the world, I'm more than happy to have you back and, and kind of give some input. Yeah, well, let's let's uh, hook up again in a couple of months, and we'll see how that works out. Yeah, and get better, please. Oh well, I'm like I said, I'm still walking now, which is great. Nice. Yeah, just don't overexert yourself. Oh yeah. All right. Thanks so much. All right.